It's October 25th, 2017, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to talk to Michael Marks and Stefan Pompulov from Locations about their new Locations Home Valuator. And of course, uh, then we'll hear from Alex Wong of iTrav Local about mobile commerce in China and how is his startup really helping local companies to tap into this lucrative market. But yes, first up, let's welcome Michael Marks from Locations and Stefan Pampilov from Collateral Analytics to talk about the Locations Home Valuator. Uh, Mike Marks, welcome to Bite Marks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Stefan. Thank you for having us here. Now, uh, Mike Marks, uh, <laughs> I just love the way that rolls off my tongue. How did this Valuator tool come to be? I mean, I, okay, I can imagine where people are looking at trying to figure out, like, how much does my house actually cost? Do I look at some listings and see what my neighbor's house costs and my other neighbor's house costs? And how do I actually hone in on, you know, to what my house costs? And so what was the thought process that went through sort of the development of this uh, valuator tool? Yeah, I mean, uh, automated valuation models have been a pretty big deal in real estate, pretty hot topic for a number of years mm-hmm. now. And uh, really, the, really, the issue with it is that the majority of these valuation tools are built on the mainland and are not specific to Hawaii's market. And so when you run a local property through them, you get some pretty outlandish figures sometimes. Mm. And it can cause a huge problem for potential homeowners. I mean, you put it into, or excuse me, potential home sellers. Mm-hmm. You, know, you put it mm-hmm. into perspective when somebody runs their property through one of these mainland tools and finds out that it's uh, apparently worth $100,000 more than it would actually sell for. Mm-hmm. Now, they have unrealistic expectations. The property may sit on the market for an extended period of time because it's overpriced and it can create some real uh, real complications for them and their realtors. So uh, we partnered up with Collateral Analytics with Stefan over here, and uh, we've been working for a number of years now to make a, a specific tool to Hawaii's unique real estate market that will get us more accurate values for our properties than you'll find on these national sites out there. So I should mention I work at Hawaii Information Service, an MLS and a real estate tech company, and we hear these things about these valuation models all the time, whether it's Zillow's Zestimate trademark, and you have uh, uh, Realtor.com or they have uh, the... RVM from from uh, other sites, and it is difficult. So I can see the big math that might be involved. Stefan, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how you're able to come up with something that you're you were confident enough to bring to locations to say this can help that start that conversation about the value of a Hawaii home? Yeah, this is a great topic. We've been uh, dealing with valuations for many many years already. We've been providing this type of tools to lenders across the country. Uh, they're relying on accurate estimates to uh, make loan decisions. And um, we partnered with locations to provide that si- that same type of tool uh, to the Hawaii real estate market. Now, is the innovation specifically that you're only using a massive data set from Hawaii? Or are you learning from perhaps some of these other practices to come up with what you would be confident uh, in as far as a valuation number for a property? Um yeah, absolutely. We're doing both. Um, we've been um, focusing on the entire nation, not only on Hawaii, mm. but uh, since we are here um, in Hawaii, this, our headquarters are in Hawaii Kai, you know, we um, we focus on the Hawaii market as well. And there's some uniqueness about Hawaii, things like uh, neighborhoods, waterfront homes, um, leasehold properties, leasehold properties um, you know, you need to find the most similar homes to, to come up with a good estimate. And uh, these are the things that we were able to do very well here. So, uh, Mike, in terms of trying to come up with an algorithm that's more unique to Hawaii, are there some other things that you have noticed 
that perhaps mainland companies don't take into consideration? I know, I know Stefan just mentioned a few of them, but you know, what about things like, uh, I don't know, extension on the home or are there other sort of details that might go into the, the calculation? You know, it may sound really simplistic, but the bottom line is that it's all about neighborhoods. I mean, real mm-hmm. estate is local, and it all comes back to neighborhoods. And on Oahu alone, we have 350-plus specific individualized neighborhoods that have different supply and demand components, uh, different price ranges. And you can have, just to what Ryan said earlier, neighborhoods right next to each other that mm-hmm. have completely different pricing structures. So uh, the majority of these mainland-based sites are focusing on zip codes and on mm-hmm. much bigger chunks, whereas we're focusing on specific neighborhoods uh, to get more accurate and more specific comps to get to the values that actually matter and, and to bring it more into the scope of reality for okay. Hawaii homeowners. I used to live in uh, Makiki 96822, which was the same zip code as Manoa, and there are some significant price differences within that single zip code. Mm-hmm. But here's a question for you uh, at locations. When you're talking about automated uh, home valuations or the locations home valuator, and you have uh, instant mortgage approvals, you have all of these things that are moving much faster, wouldn't there be a concern that these tools might eliminate someone's interest in dealing with a professional, with a human being who can look take a f- deeper look at that and, g- and give a potential home seller a more nuanced estimate on the value of their home? You know, I think that's always a concern. I mean, it's something that everybody keeps in their mind. And at the same time, you know, there will never be an absolutely perfect valuation tool. You know, I mean, we're talking about degrees of perfection. uh, But at the same time, with what prices are like here in Hawaii, a percentage difference in one direction or the other can make a pretty substantial difference to a homeowner. So um, we're not shooting for perfection. We're better than the rest, which is great. Uh, But you will always need a professional to get you that proper value uh, and to really get you to the price that's going to move that property quickly and and get you to your next step in life. Right. So for all intents and purposes, the valuation is just a a starting point. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it's still going to boil down to some negotiation or some uh, subjective decision making on the part of the buyer and the seller on what the ultimate price is going to be. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh-huh. It's, it's not the end-all and be-all. It's, it's going to be more accurate than you'll get on the mainland sites, but it's definitely not. Uh, you still need a realtor to really point you in the right direction to really refine it, pick the specific comps that are most like that subject property to get you to the particular value that it would sell for today. Mm-hmm. So can you explain to me a little bit about how the tool works on the website? Uh, a lot of times you might get a valuation and other sites might say, well, I would like to adjust it because I think the view is worth more, but the, the bathroom is a little older. I mean, you can make some of these refinements. Is that some of the things that you take into uh, account, Stefan, whether for Hawaii or for your national valuations? Yeah, absolutely. The tool provides um, adjustment features. So you can go in and uh, make changes to any of the property characteristics and uh, or, or remodeling if that was done on the house. And uh, it, that would be applied to the final value. Well, so with that point, uh, if somebody wanted to actually go and use the valuator tool, I mean, how would they go about doing that? Great question. So uh, you would go to locationshawaii.com slash sell, uh, and that'll take you straight to our address submission page. Mm -hmm. Once you plug in your address, you will have to register to actually see the the value of that particular property. Uh, We sunk a lot of time and resources and energy into it, so you do have to register to get to it. But uh, I think you'll be impressed with the product that you see, and it will be more accurate than what you'll see elsewhere. That's fantastic. Well, well, that makes total sense because, you know, I wanted to do a little research and just kind of check out the valuation <laughs> of my house, but I didn't go through that actual registration process. So maybe that's why I didn't really get all the way to the tool. 
Well, now we've got homework for tonight, right? <laughs> yeah, give it a shot. We Definitely. Will. We'll put that up on the show notes tonight. Absolutely. And, of course, we want to thank you both for uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you both. Appreciate it. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Alex Wong from iTrav Local. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine and Hawaii Pacific University. Well, I can listen to everything I need for the day, from the news to the music to good stories, and it's 24-7. 365. I think probably Derek uh, in his morning edition is one of my favorites. And of course, I love Kanakapila on Sunday afternoons. Member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe. Now joining us is Alex Wong. He's the Chief Operating Officer of iTrav Local an e-commerce solution leveraging the popular WeChat platform. What is the mobile commerce market like in China, and how can local companies take advantage of it? Welcome, Alex, to ByteMarks Cafe. Thank you very much. Thank you for uh, having me on board, Ryan and Bert. Well, you know, we want to start off by kind of getting a little background on on you and iTrav Local, and how did you get into this sort of travel business with the focus on China? Well, a little bit about myself first mm-hmm. in terms of background. Um, I actually had been working over 17 years in the travel retail industry, uh, primarily with uh, DFS, duty-free shops uh, all over the world. And back in the early 2000s, we had actually focused on um, the ch- Chinese customer uh, because at that time, coming out of the Asian economic crisis, mm-hmm. you know, the Japanese spending just wasn't there. And so we had to start to learn how to diversify our customer base. So very, very early on... Um, we started targeting the Chinese customer. And it was very, very interesting because at that particular point in time, you know, our chairman, essentially, we didn't have a single dollar of Chinese sales, but he went out to a board meeting in Shanghai, mm-hmm. looked out his hotel room, and saw all the construction cranes and said, we have to be here. Mm-hmm. And this, is, this is the DFS chairman. Yeah, this so he's is looking DFS. at the marketplace and saying, wow, there's a lot of activity <coughs> going on here. How come they're not spending any money with DFS? That's correct. And so what, what was it that uh, got you, sort of sparked your interest in trying to tap into that market? Well, um, after a while of working for a company for so long, um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, key relationships that have developed over the years, mm-hmm. especially in the tourism industry. Um, so all, all, every, everyone that's involved with the tourism industry, whether it's hotels or activities, uh, they're part, we're part of their ecosystem. Um, and so uh, earlier this year, I uh, started to kind of make my move and mm-hmm. branch out because mm-hmm. um, I started to see that uh, we were starting to develop a relationship with Tencent, uh, who had this amazing super app <laughs> called WeChat. And there were many, many opportunities within that. And so I decided to take the plunge and start iTrav Local. And we started in February of this year. Ah, great. a very young company. So certainly we've, we, I think many people are now seeing the signs of the rise of the Chinese economy. You can just walk through Ala Moana and see more and more signs in Chinese, the same way you would see in the heyday of, of Japanese travel, where signs would be in Japanese. And uh, so you start this new company. You mentioned Tencent. You mentioned WeChat. Uh, 
people might not be familiar with those apps, that platform. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Tencent is a, if you, <laughs> I'm sure most people have heard of Tencent, but they're essentially about a $300 billion uh, company in terms of market capitalization. Uh, they're well known for online gaming uh, within China. Um, they're also known for their uh, email um, application QQ. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in uh, I think 2011, 2000, by October 2010 or so, uh, they started to develop this WeChat. They they, uh, they they wanted to start looking into this messaging platform, right? And then once they hit about 100 million users, then their CEO essentially rebranded it to call WeChat. Mm-hmm. And now today, and they have about 1 billion active users. And and WeChat is primarily on your mobile device, right? So unlike, yes. well, I think uh, the closest comparison might be like Facebook and Facebook Messenger and all the things that Facebook is trying to build. The closest one I would say is um, if we... If you look across different types of nationalities, cultures, um, like Koreans use Kakao Talk, mm-hmm. that's similar. Um, some um, Americans, uh, Hong Kongers, they use WhatsApp, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> you also have uh, Japanese using Line, mm-hmm, right. but none of them have all of these features that are inherent and within WeChat. So, so, yeah, talk a little bit about the diversity of what can happen within WeChat because you you might think chat, you might think, oh, stickers and emojis and maybe I can send <laughs> pictures to each other. But from what I understand, WeChat is its whole, a whole e-commerce platform. Right now, for example, if I met with a seller on Facebook, I would still do PayPal or Square or a credit card transaction. I still kind of go outside to do the monetary exchange, but WeChat has it all in there. That's correct. So um, within WeChat, um, there's a there's a feature they call uh, WeChat Pay, and uh, WeChat Pay actually um, started back sometime in uh, 2012, right? But since then, uh, because they have about uh, such a captive audience within the one app, you know, that's really where the digital wallet has really exploded, mm-hmm. right? And this is where um, Jack Ma actually himself called the launch of WeChat Pay. The Pearl Harbor attack on, <laughs> on Alipay. Alipay was launched sometime in two thousand four, um, and it basically dominated the mobile mar- uh, payments market. That was Alibaba a competitor. Yeah, Alibaba. Yeah, maybe maybe give a little bit of uh, maybe perspective because Alibaba is one of the you know the largest players in China, and we hear quite a bit about you know the sort of the rise of Alibaba, and they have um, Taobao and they have Alipay and. How does how does where does sort of where does WeChat sort of come into the the, the picture uh, with this big sort of dominance of Alibaba already there? Well, number one, I, I would um, answer, answer the question is that Alibaba doesn't really have a messaging type platform mm-hmm. or a super app like what Tencent has in WeChat. That that's the main difference. Um, Alibaba. And Tencent originally probably didn't didn't look to compete with each mm-hmm, other necessarily. Mm-hmm. They had their own areas, um, but as we start to see, even on the uh, Western side, uh, with Facebook and um, Snapchat, mm-hmm. <laughs> Instagram, um, even with things like Yelp, everything is starting to converge together. And you start to see a lot of these uh, questions: that, Do you want to link this app to that app? Right. Well, this is all already within WeChat. You don't need to do anything else. Right. And so it has such a captive audience that it's very, very sticky. 
So Alibaba doesn't really have this. Mm. You know, they have this hugely popular promotional days like Singles Day. Mm-hmm. You know, setting records in terms of online sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they just don't have this messaging app. Now, they may look to develop it. I can't really say. Mm-hmm. But they're looking for, like, key strategic alliances and partnerships. And you start to see kind of a, um, a convergence of a lot of activities uh, where they're looking for a lot of uh, users, um, trying to maximize that and to monetize it. Mm-hmm. So, But all of this is really kind of pushed by the Chinese government, in mm. fact. Uh, they wanted to go to become the leaders in, in Internet that's actually a very good point, that they have that kind of support to grow that kind of commerce. Tell me a little bit about the intersection between WeChat and WeChat Pay and the real world. You're not just buying virtual stickers and filters for your camera. Do people use WeChat Pay walking around to buy something from a vending machine or a store? So within domestic China, um, essentially it's become over the last three years, that's the largest and the biggest phenomenon. It's becoming really truly a cashless type society. So from street vendors, from wet markets, you know, convenience stores, all of them basically accept mobile payments, whether it's WeChat Pay or Alipay. You'll be actually hard-pressed to find someone who actually accepts cash, right? So you have to kind of probably go to the larger establishments to probably find someone that actually takes your cash. But just think of it just on the other side of it. If you're a business owner and you're managing them, all these types of different businesses, stores, whatever it may be, you don't necessarily want – your employees to start handle cash, right? Because cash sometimes mm-hmm. equals fraud, mm-hmm. right? And in a way, you also, by not having to deal with cash and cash handling, you don't need to hire security uh, guards. You don't need to hire armored vehicles to transport your cash from your business to the bank. Right, right. So there's a lot of um, positives that are coming out of this, right? Now, within WeChat, that particular app, right, you can use WeChat Pay to essentially pay for services like um, taxis, uh, bike sharing. Um, in, in China, you don't you don't you have things like um, <clears throat> you don't need to have a dock a biking docking station. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you you just basically just use your app as geo enabled, meaning GPS. So you just have to look for the nearest bike. You find it. You use your app to pay for it, unlock it, ride it, you finish, lock it, and you're done. Mm-hmm. Right. You know uh, something else that I want you to comment quickly on, and <clears throat> and that is. The success of, of Alipay and, and WeChat Pay has been largely due to the fact that it's, it's homegrown in China. And you have other companies like U.S. companies, whether it's uh, you know, eBay or PayPal, coming into China uh, and largely based on sort of credit card transaction. Can you comment quickly on why the, what's the primary reason for uh, perhaps their failure or their inability to really break into that market? Um. I mean, the number one thing is really the censorship, right? So in China, there's no such thing called the internet. It's really an intranet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so that's where you know, Western companies like Google, Facebook, they try to go in. But because they're not willing to accept China's censorship requirements, that's where they'll fail. Mm-hmm. They'll fail, right? And so within that, because... Um, you know, the Chinese are also very, very innovative. They're looking for ways to kind of um, leverage off the Internet and what's growing, right? So that's where the you know, whole, con- whole mm-hmm. WeChat uh, basically kind of developed. 
So right. we've, yeah, we've talked a lot about how WeChat succeeded in China, and, and we should now talk about what WeChat can provide and what iTrav Local can do for local companies here in Hawaii. But before that, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Alex Wong, Chief Operating Officer of iTrav Local, about mobile commerce. And, of course, right before the break, you know, we were talking about the uh, sort of WeChat, WeChat Pay, Alipay, and, of course, you know, the, the, the success or failures of how, you know, like a U.S. company like PayPal or eBay trying to get into the market. But what I'm also curious about is, now, Alex, you said that in February you decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a break, I'm going to go on my own, I'm going to try to get into the, you know, the Chinese market. How was it that you were able to connect with WeChat and, <laughs> and you know, basically is, you know, open up this opportunity for you? Well, I would say the stars are aligned. Okay. Um, but it's, it's a relationship we've been kind of developing over the past year, so extended before that. Um, but what it was is that uh, they also had an initiative internally, uh, Tencent, uh, WeChat, uh, what they call the WeChat Go initiative. Mm-hmm. So you'll kind of notice for people who follow them, they've been actually going around all, of, all over North America and basically pushing WeChat-type solutions, whether it's actually asking uh, companies to, to set up their official accounts, uh, to develop their mini-programs, or to even sign up with WeChat Pay. But just to understand, are you China-ready? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. Is that we talk about companies, are you China-ready? It's, it's, it's actually more than just hiring someone who can speak Mandarin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Are you actually uh, understand the culture that is actually WeChat. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like WeChat, you know, one of their most popular um, features is actually the, the um, red envelope, social gifting. Mm-hmm. So, as we all know, uh, Chinese New Year. Like um, the Lisi? Like yeah, Lisi. Yeah. Hongbao. Right? So, you, 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 the elders are always passed to the, the younger, uh, whether it's, you know, it could be graduation, it could be birthday. Chinese New Year, uh, could be your boss uh, giving it to mm-hmm, your staff. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's basically, it's, it's, it's their DNA. It's been passed down for centuries upon centuries. And so WeChat, all of these features, you know, they, they actually take advantage of it. They remember the history. They remember that. They bring it and make it relevant. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about how difficult it is for American companies to penetrate into the Chinese market, but we also here in Hawaii are seeing growing Chinese visitor traffic. So Talk to me about iTrav Local's role. Let's say you run a Hawaii Jeep tour company. You want to bring Chinese tourists and take them on a Jeep tour and transact in a way that they're comfortable with. What do you bring to that arrangement? So iTrav Local essentially is a company we will want to help local businesses that are interested in developing their uh, Chinese business. So a lot of them traditionally have always looked into Japanese, right? Yes. So in Hawaii, there's about 1.5 million Japanese that come every single year. There's about 200,000 Chinese that come. Now, you have to keep, also keep in mind that there's different types of Chinese, mm-hmm. right? So the highest spending Jap- uh, Chinese are actually uh, PRC. We're talking about mainland China. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about Taiwanese. We're not talking about Hong Kongers, mm-hmm. right? It's really mainland China. So there's about 200,000 of them, right? And typically, 
um, they spend about $7,000 per pax in terms of spending in the U.S. That's inclusive of Hawaii. So in terms of impact, just like last year, you can estimate that to be about, not including airfare, okay, uh, to be about $300 million spending in Hawaii, right? So how we play come into this play is, you know, for those traditionally that have never been marketing to the Chinese, you know, who, can, who, who, who actually says that, the, you know, the 200,000 Chinese that are coming, you know, is expected to actually, it could rise to 400,000. It could double in four years, actually three years. Because last year, uh, Chinese coming to the U.S., including Ch- Hawaii, it was about three, three and a half million. It's projected to grow to about six million by 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. <coughs> so, so, I mean, the math is clear. There's yeah. opportunity here. I sell something uh, in Waikiki. What can you do for me? So, first question. So, have you traditionally been marketing to Chinese? No. Okay. So, the easy way to do it is basically to essentially install and have uh, mobile payments. So Alipay, WeChat Pay, because once you sign on to do that, then essentially it's kind of putting an open sign to open to Chinese. Mm. So, so the question then is, so Ryan's got a business. He wants to be <clears throat> you know, on the platform. But the question that you asked earlier, are you China ready? So what does Ryan have to do to become China ready? Yeah, so first step is have have mobile payments, sure. okay. right? So t- once you have mobile payments... What happens is they they have a GPS geo enabled service within mm-hmm. WeChat, so they can actually see which businesses mm. accept mobile payments. So if you're the first one in Hawaii, they'll come in and say, "Hey, look, we can go here. They accept, um, oh, they accept WeChat Pay, right?" So immediately you're on the minds oh, and forefront of the Chinese it. consumer, right? And then if you want to continue to develop that market. Then you want to start looking at, okay, let's put together an official account. Now, the official account is actually kind of like working over the Internet. So you actually need uh, a China company representing your official account. And that's mm-hmm. just a requirement just to maintain and watch over you, your official account to make sure that you, you meet the censorship requirements. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So you would facilitate that? You would yeah, help we facilitate that. Uh, we have uh, developers. Uh, if you want to even develop further, like you want to develop a mini app, uh, they call that a mini program. They cannot use the word app. Mm. So a mini program is actually a lighter version of what you see like uh, in, in Apple, iOS, or whether it's Google, uh, Android. But you don't have to maintain two separate uh, types of um, applications. Uh, you just need to do one. And so is the, is the development of iTrav Local primarily you and your team here in Hawaii, or do you have programmers elsewhere? Uh, my programmers are actually in uh, India and China. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to actually start to release the code for mini program development uh, to the U.S. fairly soon. Uh, so you start to have a new generation of uh, programmers. And are uh, you on a on a um, an effort now to sign up local travel companies that want to appeal to the the Chinese traveler? Uh, yes, I am. And yes, so, I what am. does that in, what does that include? You know, besides coming on Bike Mart Cafe. <laughs> Um, it's, it's actually been a slow process, uh, to tell you the truth, because uh, I do have a few proposals out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just kind of uh, molding it over. Uh, and these could be like from small businesses to medium-sized to larger businesses. Uh, but what the biggest challenge is is really just saying, uh, is it really, where is their corporate office? 
That's that's actually the key because if the corporate office isn't in Hawaii, it actually makes it a lot more challenging mm-hmm. because you need to essentially get the corporate office to be in line uh, with the strategy. Sure. Right? So if somebody uh, has a business, they already draw business from the travel industry, the tourism business, but they are very interested in working with Chinese travelers. How do they get in touch with iTravel? Where can they find more information? Uh, you can send an email to info at skyitl. So info at S-K-Y-I-T-L. Uh, sky is the limit. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll get in, t- in touch directly with you? Yes, they'll get in touch directly with me. And what we'll do is basically we'll set up a one-on-one personal consultation. And we can talk about the different types of marketing elements that's available. Thank Fantastic. you very much. Well, Alex Wong, he's a Chief Operating Officer of iTrav Local. I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week. We'll talk about citizen science and how that meets with citizen foresters. If you missed any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. You can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us here every Wednesday on HPR One. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.